This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It is the big show. I want to remind you, registration is now open for Skyhawks Sports Academy summer camps. Action-packed, fun-filled summer of youth sports camps at a location near you. Choose between soccer, flag football, uh, golf, baseball, cheerleading, multi-sports camps, mini hawk camps, and more. Program info is yours and registration at www.skyhawks.com. Gordon, it's time for the NBA Daily Assist. Shall we do it? Let's do Let's do it. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Sam Amick of The Athletic. How the heck are you, buddy? Gentlemen, doing good. Happy to be with you as always, Austin. You're you're an on-air superstar, lately, man. Uh, I'm on I'm on air. I don't know about superstar, and uh, I don't know. Once the boss hears me on air one of these days, maybe he'll be like, "What's he doing?" So no, I've heard you. <laughs> you're the boss. We're in good hands. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, he's Gordon. I'm Austin, and Sam with us. Sam, let's dive right in. I saw a bunch of stuff this week on the Athletic that had my uh, interest peaked. Uh, we do need to ask you about what's going on in Indiana, but John Hollinger says Rudy Gobert is the most underrated, underappreciated player in the NBA. Agree or disagree, and why? I still, admittedly, I have to you know fess up. Uh, I retweeted John's column, and I always love reading John. I have not read it yet. Uh, I have no problem with the general premise, and I'm, I'm you know, more importantly, I'm in fear of losing my spot on this fine radio station to Hollinger if it keeps pumping out that kind of jazz material. I think I might be in trouble. But, yeah, I mean, it's the, the Gobert thing is funny because if I'm Rudy and, and I'm watching what I think is mostly a silly MVP conversation, um, and I tweeted about this, but, like, you know, you guys know how much respect I have for Chris Paul and what he's done this year, but you know, we kind of need to get off the whole Chris Paul should be the MVP thing that kind of flared up. And, and so if I'm Rudy, I'm kind of sitting there going, all right, I was okay losing to Jokic and Embiid and Steph and Giannis. Um, but, you know, now we're getting even further down the list and, and Rudy doesn't get any love. And it's, you know, it's funny. It's a different, to me, it's a different version of a similar conversation that we're having with Jokic. And I know this might be a stretch, but just in general, we are guilty of, as fans and media of having preconceived notions about what an MVP looks like. And with Rudy, it's the fact that he's a you know, defense-first player, um, you know, and with Jokic, it's the fact that he's a, a big that plays like a point guard. It's just we are, you know, used to the Michael Jordan, LeBron James model, Chris Paul even, and, uh, and these other guys take a, a closer look to really appreciate so, Sam, I'm going to break one of my rules here, and I'm going to ask you two questions in one. And uh, But I'm really curious to know your answer to the second in relation to the first. And the first is, 
Do you think the Jazz now at 48 and 18, up one game over the Suns in the West, do you think they're going to do it? Do you think they're going to get that, that top seed? Gordon, apologies. Give me that last part again. I cut out do, just a little bit. Do, do you think the Jazz are going to get that top seed in the West? Um, I, you know, I listen, I don't have a schedule in front of me. You know, it, it looks dicey. The Suns are playing well. They Last night was weird. I don't know if you guys watched that Atlanta game. I, I keep meaning to go back and understand what the heck happened. I was watching in the third quarter, and it was pretty tight and then they just got blown out of the water. So that was a, an outlier. But, you know, Phoenix is pushing for it. And, you know, I, I think that uh, Jordan Clarkson playing a little bit better recently has been a good thing. Um, he was obviously so hot early on and out there in front on the six-man-of-the-year race and, you know, cooled off. So they've got the firepower to do it. It's just a matter of, you know, are they going to prioritize it all the way to the finish line as much as Phoenix might? I think the Suns, you know, quietly within their group might have a, a little bit of a different attitude than the Jazz. Like, gosh, that would that would really be special to get the number one seed, whereas I, I really do think Utah, because they have been through more as a group, is going to just be saying, you know, we got to be healthy and we got to be playing well uh, and ready to roll for the playoffs, and that's where it matters most. So then the secondary question is this. What is the regular season good for? That's a question that I've been asking myself more often, I think, this year than maybe any other, because I, I'm not sure that the top seeds are the, the teams that are necessarily either the favorites to win a championship or the way to bet. Uh, what, what are we doing here? Is this just for entertainment purposes, or is it uh, more serious than that? Uh, it's going to be hard to know the answer to that question until – we get to next year. Uh, I mean, to me, this season is, is such a, an outlier that I don't know how much you can glean from it because, you know, the pandemic aspect of it changed everything. Um, the fact that, you know, injuries played such a big part. And even, you know, I think when other teams saw them, you know, saw superstars going down, you know, it, it probably, you know, you have all these cautionary tales all over the place when, you know, I think that makes teams apprehensive and then prioritize the playoffs. So this one, this year is a weird one. And even to hear you say, you know, the, uh, the favorite team, I don't even know who's favorite anymore. You know what I mean? Like the Lakers are officially in, in big time trouble. Um, the jazz have been great all year, but had some injuries lately, you know, and, and Phoenix is a team that we never saw doing what they've been doing. So it's really hard to handicap. Sam, I'm going to ask you to go back in your memory's eye and your memory bank and think over all the interviews and research that you've done over the years with shooters, and and particularly when you talk to them about slumps or shooting problems. What would you say is the number one reason guys have given you for their shooting woes over the years? I don't know if I have a great answer for that, Austin. I mean, where my mind went immediately is, and it's not even my story, uh, when I was at USA Today, um, my colleague and friend Jeff Zilgett had a wonderful piece on Kyle Korver where it kind of took you inside the mind of a shooter. And it didn't necessarily illuminate why they slump and, and what the reasons behind it might be. It was more so kind of made you appreciate the art of repetition and, and the, the kind of the, uh, the art of what they do. I just, 
I just know the opposite. This is not really answering your question, but when it comes to slumps, whether it's a, a Clay Thompson type or a Steph Curry, who I've spent a lot of time around, you know, it's that attitude that like you just simply you can't care. You know, you it's like the old Michael Jordan commercial that, you know, if you counted all the times that he missed, um, you know, he failed however many times and, and that's how you get better. So, you know, there's different kinds of slumps. There's the kind that are just um inevitable when it comes to the ebb and flow of a player's life and then there's the kind where they let it get to them and you compound the problem because you mentally uh, let it actually get between the ears. Illustrating that very thing, Sam, was uh, Boyan Bogdanovich last night. He was 10 of 13 for 24 points, and he played terrific, efficient, but he talked about he his lack of confidence at times through this sort of undulating season, and Jordan Clarkson just uh, likes to fire away and isn't going to worry about it, like the, the dichotomy that you just described there. Which do you think, in your conversations with Steph Curry, did he say that he, he's just going to keep shooting no matter what, even if he is in a slump? And do you think that's the best way to do it? I actually think of the two guys, I do think Steph mostly has that. I think, and this is there's no way to quantify this, my feeling of the, those two guys, the, the Splash Brothers, you know, for the Warriors, I would probably argue that that Steph is, you know, slightly more prone to uh, to confidence problems every once in a while, and more so in his earlier years than Clay. Clay is is kind of the RoboCop of shooters, if that makes any sense. <laughs> like he he really, you know, he's got red eyes and a, and, a, and programming that just does not allow him to care and he's something else. So he is more the Ray Allen type, um, you know, those kinds of guys where it's what they do. I mean, this is, you just brought me back to a, a fun memory. When I was covering the Kings uh, really early, they had a game against Seattle and it was in Sacramento at the old Arco arena and Ray Allen was shooting and doing his regimented routine pregame and the lights in the building legitimately went out, and it was almost pitch black, and I'm talking really jet black. And I'm sitting there courtside because I had been enjoying watching Ray shoot, and, like, the lights were out, and you're assuming, you know, you're kind of assuming that everything's going to come to a stop. And then I just started hearing that unmistakable sound of the, the, the net swishing, <laughs> and, and Ray just kept going, and he wasn't missing at all. And it's like, my God, like that – one of the first times I ever said, like, these guys, like, you know, what they do is, is incredible. So there's varying degrees of, you know, in terms of the mentality, you know, guys' ability to be that way. But I, I do think it's a, a trait that the best ones have. Wow. That's an unbelievable story. <laughs> yeah, that's enough to make you want to hate a guy, actually. Like, <laughs> really? You won't even crazy. miss in the dark? Come on now. Uh, the best part was that, like, he's, he, he was always a really media-friendly guy. So the fun part as a reporter was that I even got kind of like the self-indulgent chance on the back end to, you know, I think it was in the locker room afterwards to, to kind of circle back with him and just kind of be like, uh, hey, I, I'm sorry. Like, did I just see what I think I saw or, or hear what I thought I heard? <laughs> You know, and, and I think we talked about it, but yeah, it was something else. Unbelievable. Uh, well, whether the lights are on or out in Indiana, uh, they are in trouble. They don't like each other, and that boiled over last night with former Jazz big Greg Foster, an assistant there, 
going after uh, the, the player whose name I cannot pronounce. Uh, and he's a, <laughs> but they they say that they've got a good relationship and the emotions poured over. But then there's all these other reports about the head coach and Demonte Sabonis and what is happening with the Pacers. Are we on the way to an eruption here in Indiana? Yeah, I mean, one of the things from a media standpoint is that, like small markets like Indiana, and then Utah is not the case, you know, with this right now. I mean. Utah, you guys are considered small market, obviously, but you got multiple daily beat writers on the team. You know, you, because the team has been good, you have a bit of a national spotlight that is always kind of around. The Pacers are different. They don't, you know, and I'm trying to think of who's still covering them every single day. J. Michael Falgoost, who used to be a, a USA Today, is at the Indianapolis Star, and he's there every day. But my point is this, like a lot of stuff doesn't get reported. And this story probably could have been reported two months ago, if that makes sense. Um, we've been hearing noise for a long time, uh, you know, and, and this just kind of, and, and Gordon, you can relate, you know, you win some, you lose some. We were not, you know, the other night was a little frustrating because we had the story and uh, made a few phone calls that ended up, I think, uh, having a domino effect where next thing you know, ESPN put something out before we had our story come out. So it was percolating in a lot of different places. Uh, but, yeah, man, the players don't like the coach. I mean, he just – I don't know Bjorkren at all, but the stories you hear are not good, uh, abrasive, um, demeaning to assistant coaches, and specifically that that was the kind of thing that, that lost him credibility and, and respect with the players, them witnessing the way he would treat his own staff. Uh, and, and kind of a Jekyll and Hyde personality, I think. I just read uh, Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report had a pretty thorough – breakdown of the situation you know that's the same type of stuff that i've been hearing and i don't know what will happen at this point it seems pretty unlikely that he would be back but at the same time it's it's one year um i think he's got a guaranteed year left and uh and you have politics internally that are going to play a part too but would definitely not good at all i mean that scene on the bench last night was was wild and i think uh, just kind of a sign of how bad it is how often does that stuff go on, Sam? It makes me wonder. Remember when players used to say uh, he's a player's coach or whatever, and that sort of somehow was an anomaly or something special? You have to be a player's coach nowadays, don't you? Because that's the only thing that works. Yeah, you do. But, I mean, I, I think, you know, mostly. That's not totally true. So the funny part is Nate McMillan was, you know, criticized by Pacers players before he got fired as being too tough. And, you know, his nickname is, the, is Sarge, and that's kind of the way he was wired. And so it didn't work there. He ends up getting fired, even though he had a, a really good run in, in Indiana. But then, you know, he's he's killing it in, in Atlanta right now. You know what I mean? He deserves a lot of credit. And that's not a guy who is considered a quote-unquote player's coach. But for the most part, you know, there are a lot of them. I mean, look at New York. You know, Tom Thibodeau is not a player's coach. Um, at least in the convent, you know, typical sense of the uh, the phrase. So it's a mixed bag, but I think that the thing the Pacers ran into, and I've definitely, you know, I've definitely heard this from people within the organization, is that they thought they were getting one thing with Bjorkren. He did really come in as, you know, a people person and then kind of just did a bit of an about face and was 
showing different stripes once he got in there. While we're on this along these lines, the piece that you and Shams wrote about coaches' hot seats, and we talked about Nate Bjorkgren. Terry Stotts in Portland, is this really about to come to an end, uh, barring any kind of championship run here? It seems seems to me, at least here in Salt Lake, that Terry Stotts should be appreciated more than that. Yeah, I mean, the sense, uh, I do think that one seems like a, you know, I, I, you always have to qualify this stuff because we can't predict the future. People could change their minds. Something crazy could happen in the playoffs. You know, like like we wrote. You know, if he pulls a rabbit out of a hat. But you know, they there are definitely already wheels in motion to figure out who's next yeah. out there. And you know, I think it's a combination of they've they've tried every other area except for the front office. You know, they haven't. Neil O'Shea has had a lot of uh, runway as far as being the head of the front office, but. They've changed the roster countless times. They um, they've done a lot around the edges, but they they added players this off season. You know, Derek Jones Jr. being one who I, I don't think they're happy with how he's been handled. Robert Covington before him, that they thought was going to improve their defense, and they're still terrible on that end. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have nine years with the same guy, so I agree that he should be appreciated. He's had a really good run. But nine years is is definitely an eternity in the NBA, and the more the most relevant factor here is that with Damian Lillard having three more guaranteed years on his current contract, there's just kind of a sense that you know the the, the concern is you you go another year or two with Stotts during that three year run, you're asking for trouble because if you don't get the job done, then two years in. That's when Damien's saying, "All right, I'm done. You know, trade me out of here." You know, it's it's interesting this this discussion, Sam, and I'm sure based on your experience, you could go on and on about it. But I I find it fascinating these relationships because it's more than just knowledge; it's more than just knowing how to motivate people. It's it's I the word I hear over and over again as far as effective NBA coaches is guys who know how to communicate, and I I don't know yeah. if. Maybe you can be kind of stern and still communicate fairly in a way that players understand and where it's clear and it's not uh, some kind of game plan. So you don't have to be kissing up to the players all the time as long as they know that they're communicating their message and the player has an opportunity to communicate his message back. Maybe that's not being a player's coach, but it seems like in this day and age, you got to be a good communicator or else it isn't going to work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that at all. Um, in fact, you know, Quinn Smatter comes to mind as a guy who is just a wonderful communicator with his players, and you hear that all the time. I thought that my buddy uh, at ESPN, Tim McMahon, wrote a good piece on Joe Ingles the other day, and in that story, you know, it's a it was kind of a you know not a outside the box type thing, but Joe mentioned that every off season he goes to Quinn and he says, all right, coach, like, what did I suck at this year? And they talk it through, but you, every time you talk to a guy like Joe, he's just giving this hat tip to the coach. Like Quinn's a leader. He, you know, he communicates with me. He helps me get better. I, you know, it's not delivered um, with toxicity. It's not delivered with attitude or ego. It's delivered with kind of a shared purpose. And I've talked to Quinn more than enough times to sense that, from him, and that's a thread that you're seeing 
with some of the, the best coaches in the league this year. If you look at Monty Williams in Phoenix, I think it's very similar. If you look at Michael Malone in Denver, yes, it's more, you know, it, you could say abrasive like, and, and harsh, more, I guess, you know, that makes you think of a guy like Bjorkren, but it's different. Like Michael Malone has created bonds and rapport with the Nikola Jokic's and play, you know, Jamal Murray, guys like that. Like the relationship stuff, he, you know, he, he goes to Serbia to spend time with Jokic and his family. He cares about him as a person. That's all part of it. And, and we don't see all that stuff. It, it might manifest itself on the court when the lights are on, but you know all that stuff actually unfolded behind the scenes and, and out in the real world. And when you have that kind of thing going on, then a player, a coach can say to a player what Quinn Snyder said to me once about Joe Ingles, uh, and I brought this up with Austin. Uh, I think was it yesterday or the day before? I don't know. Anyway, he said. Uh, <laughs> In, in a way, he was trying to compliment Joe Ingles, but he said at the end, this is my favorite quote about Ingles from Quinn. He said, remember, he's full of bleep. <laughs> that stayed exactly. with me. And Joe would probably agree. Right. right. Well, it's, it's like a playfulness. It's, it's born out of actually liking somebody. And that's the bottom line. Like, I talked to one of the agents of one of the players in Indiana recently. And it's just like, he's really matter of fact, like, I don't know what you want me to say. Like the, the guys <laughs> think he's an a-hole. Like that's, you know, and it's mm-hmm. not that much more complicated. You combine that kind of a reputation with a lack of, it's not a lack of accomplishment. I need to respect Nate's career to this point. You know, it's just an incredible achievement to become an NBA head coach, but these players are not impressed by that. They, they, they're impressed by, achievement as an NBA head coach and in that department he has none so you have no credibility built up combined with people not liking your personality that's a pretty tough tough duo to to get over well thanks uh, again for another great week of NBA talk Sam we'll do it again next Thursday you got it guys talk to you thanks you got it thank you Sam Amick of The Athletic with us here each and every Thursday for your NBA Daily Assist. So he thinks you're big time now. Well, if that's the case, then I need to start ignoring his calls and texts because <laughs> that's what you do when you're big time, right? You, you ignore, <laughs> ignore your friends. <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking from experience of being ignored. <laughs> Is he talking about you, Eric? Nope, not Eric. Not Eric. Don't talk like that about Jake when he's not here. <laughs> Let's get out to the zone phone and talk with Andrew Reinhardt. Of oh, we need to get Andrew Reinhardt on the phone. That speaking might be of a good idea. speaking of ignoring people, no, I'm just kidding. I, uh, need, I need to ask Andrew a question. Uh oh, not not about me personally. I mean. No. Oh, for a friend. friend? (laughs) I'm sure, honestly, I'll bet he gets that all the time. (laughs) I know. All the time. And it shouldn't be that way. People should just treat it like any other condition that you're going to get fixed, and then you're living a happier life, you know? Why why not? Uh, I don't know. Do we have – we'll get Andrew here and just – just okay, he's with us. Now, Andrew, we were just laughing about you must all the time get the – I've got a friend of mine who, who has, has a question. Yeah. <laughs> all the all all the time. I yeah, get yeah. that all the time. Andrew, I, I made the mistake earlier when I was talking to Austin. We were talking about various Olympic sports that he could be good at, and I <laughs> I brought up synchronized swimming, and I said, uh, uh, "How did I put it, Austin? Exactly?" I said. Uh, 
are are you any good from the waist down? Yeah. How yeah. are you from the waist down? That's yeah, what you said. Yeah, How no, are you from? And I said, well. And so uh, then he thought, well, maybe we should ask Andrew. First of all, HR yeah. line four, and then wait for Andrew <laughs> to come on. So Wasatch Medical Clinic, if you are, uh, you know, not doing so well from the waist down, don't be embarrassed. And it still is confidential. You can call 801-901-8000 and uh, get some help. Right, Andrew? Yes, you can. I can't help you from the waist up, but the waist down, we definitely, we have something here. And it's helping a lot of guys. A patient in the other day, he was probably late 40s, early 50s. He said, I'm back to my 30s. That is so cool. And doing it without the pill, by the way, our acoustic wave therapy uh, gently opens up blood vessels. It improves circulation. Even if somebody's listening and saying, I don't think I have ED, but I'm not what I used to be. Uh, I'm not, you know, if the frequency isn't there, we see a lot of it. And two to three weeks of treatments, that's what the Cambridge study says is the magic number. Oh, is it worth the results and that improvement to the relationship? You, you said a word there uh, that applies. I think a lot of people might get nervous about the treatment, but you, you use the word gentle. This is not going to be a very invasive uh, problem, is it? No, it isn't. You come in and the device is placed on the skin for about 10 minutes. No recovery time. You walk out feeling absolutely nothing. Notice that the blood flow improves. I don't think there's ever been a reported side effect. I've certainly never heard or seen one. Um, now, the pill, a lot of side effects, a lot of downsides, uh, and, and there's just, you know, it's just not the case with the acoustic wave therapy. This typically, this all sounds like it would be a real expensive trip to the doctors, but you guys have a pretty sweet uh, setup there. We do. We uh, believe in delivering a lot of value and, frankly, spend a lot of money um, just doing assessments. We do the exam. The doctor will meet with you. He'll test your blood vessels with, with a blood flow ultrasound. I've had that done a bunch of times. It's pretty cool. You've probably never heard your blood flow, and you will. Uh, we'll give you the little gift that produces immediate results in the bedroom, and it's all totally no charge. It's 801-901-8000, 801-901-8000 for Wasatch Medical Clinic. Don't wait. Get it done. Get it taken care of. Three, three short weeks, you'll be back to living a healthier, happier life. Thank you, Andrew. We'll check in again. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. That's Andrew from uh, Wasatch Medical Clinic here on the Zone Sports Network. Coming up next, more of the big show later, 5 o'clock. We've got Derek Favors calling in. Stay tuned. Time is it? It's half past the hour and time to talk Utah Jazz. Oh, Donovan! This is your Jazz at 30 update presented by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call 385 385- 427-881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Ring the 30-point bell. Bojan Bogdanovic uh, has had an up-and-down season. He shot just 36% from three in April. But so far, three games played in May, 50% from downtown, averaging 27.7 points a night. That's up from 19 in the month of April. Last night, after a Jazz win over the Spurs, he talked about uh, his shooting slumps and how it actually uh, is tied to getting closer to the basket. I mean, I've, I was working all the time uh, on my finishes. I know that I was 
I was struggling big time around the rim, so that also caused me missing missing the three point shot because I didn't have a I didn't make those around the rim, so I didn't have a confidence to to, to shoot a three. So those easy basket, buckets are falling down right now, and then I'm I'm also shooting better for for three when I get in a game on on, on that wave. So I'm trying to to work hard, but also I think that that confidence is it's, it's everything for 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 every player in in, in this league. So I'm I'm getting my my confidence back. The Jazz have the Nuggets here in this building, Vivint Arena, tomorrow night, 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock tip-off. That's your Jazz at 30 update brought to you by Syringa Networks. You can't stop me now. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Big O' Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O' Tires. The team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Big Show, Austin Horton in for Jake Scott here with Gordon Monson coming up at 5 o'clock. Set your alarms, set your timers now. Derek Favors will be joining Gordon and myself here at 5 o'clock on The Big Show, so stay tuned for that. We've talked a lot of basketball today, Gordon. Let's talk a little football for a moment. Good by me. Both BYU and the University of Utah will have quarterback decisions coming up this fall. Uh, and I'm not sure about uh, what's going on up at, at, at Utah State. We'll see. But let's focus on the Cougars and, and the uh, Utes for just a second. In Provo, it's Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, or the newcomer Jacob Conover. Here in Salt Lake, it's Charlie Brewer, the transfer from Baylor, or the, uh, I guess, familiar face or name Cam Rising, who hasn't been able to stay or get on the field much due to health. Yeah. Which one do you want to talk about first? Which one is a better situation? Uh, well, I, I the one that I think is more certain is Charlie Brewer. He seems to be like the guy. Now, you, you can't know because it's, is it really fair to, to, to make a comparison now? Because Cam Rising has not been available to really – show what he can do. Not many people were impressed with his showing for that very brief showing last year, but I'm not sure you can really hold that against him given a strange set of circumstances. But Charlie Brewer, I mean, what what can you say about a guy who is like thrown for what, 9,000 yards in his career already? <laughs> is that all? Is that all he's thrown for? Good gravy. I mean, he's <laughs> let me let me let me double check this. Nine thousand, nine thousand seven hundred yards. Wow! In his career already, he's uh, thrown the ball one thousand three hundred and four times. Sixty-three and a half percent percentage completions. Wow! Eight hundred and twenty-eight completions. Yeah. So I mean, he, he uh, his quarterback rating isn't off the charts, but I mean, he's. But look at that touchdown-to-interception ratio. Yeah. Yeah. 65 TDs, 28 picks, and that's over four years of play. And I don't know what uh, you know spring ball proves or it disproves, whatever, but it seems like everybody was talking him up pretty big. And uh, like I said, Cam Rising not really with an opportunity to show his wares, so we'll see how it works out in the fall. But uh, uh, right now, it looks like Charlie Brewer, doesn't it? I it, mean, I don't know yeah. how else you can look at it. It does. It does look like that, and it doesn't seem to be any kind of smokescreen either. The words that are coming out of that camp up there, 
uh, after that perfect 15-for-15 15 15 spring game, which, like you said, what can you really take from that other than what they tell you? And what we're hearing is they're excited about Charlie Brewer. We played some sound from Andy Ludwig at the end of last week. He had come on with Hans and Scotty, and they asked him about Charlie Brewer, and he was you, you could barely he could barely contain himself. Yeah. And Andy, Coach Ludwig is not a guy that is – usually really fired up and excited in, in his discussion, in his manner of delivery. Uh, but he was about Charlie Brewer. Maybe, and he's, then maybe he, he's also excited about the fact that uh, Charlie has run for over, rushed for over 1,000 yards. That so, would help, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they asked about Cam Rising, and he tried to, you know, tried to be as excited. At least it sounded like it to me. I wrote down a word for each guy. Charlie Brewer, I wrote down proven with an asterisk because it's been proven – at Baylor, yeah, with their personnel, with their coaches, here at Utah, there's a lot of question marks around Charlie Brewer if you were the guy. So proven with an asterisk. For Cam Rising, I put familiar simply because he has now spent two seasons sitting next to the guys up in the coach's booth. Yeah. He knows the language. He knows the play calls. He should know the playbook inside and out. And he knows the personnel that is there and those that have left. He's more familiar, and they're more familiar with him. But if you're choosing a starting quarterback, you got to go with the better talent, right? Sure. I mean, yeah, and that's and that's the way to go. And Charlie Brewer came to Utah for a reason, and uh, I think he saw an opportunity there and uh, is planning on taking it. But uh, Cam Rising, like you said, he's been sitting next to the coordinator, and he should be very familiar with what's going on there. But uh, I remember Jake bringing this up last year. If if uh, if Andy Ludwig was sold on on Cam Rising, why why are you bringing in these grad transfers or whatever? You know, so I we'll see how it plays out. But right now, Charlie Brewer has to have the inside track there, I imagine. But I we'll think see. So. I still think it's uh, it's not a decision that's been made. So there there is an opportunity in the fall. See how it goes, and then they want to keep these guys motivated over the off-season to work hard and, and do everything they can to improve, or in some cases to heal. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, as far as BYU goes, I mean. Is there a leader in the clubhouse for you I, there? You know, I, all I know is what Aaron Roderick said after uh, spring ball, and it was essentially like it's a close, tight battle all the way around. And, and uh, you know, Aaron is probably saying things that he wants his players to hear, but he probably means it. I mean, because when you consider those two quarterbacks, and then if you want to bring in the Conover kid, uh, there's some talent there. I mean, Baylor Romney won some big games for the Cougars when he started uh, a couple of years ago. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, if you like Jaron Hall, if you like the athleticism there, if you like his ability to be a little more versatile when it comes to the other things, uh, then, uh, then yeah, there are reasons to like both of those guys. And from the film I saw on Conover, that kid can play too. Yeah. I mean, he's not exactly uh, chopped liver. So we'll see. I mean, Alabama had interest in him. I, I so. th- Yeah. I mean, did he, did he ever lose a high school game? I don't know. I, I don't haven't know. looked. Yeah. He was really good. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. You know, it's, it's ironic in some ways that – BYU loses Zach Wilson, who uh, got himself promoted to a position of number two pick in the draft. Are you kidding me? That's that's a remarkable uh, trajectory for him. And yet BYU has 
more quarterbacks than it knows what they do with. <laughs> that sounds there. like they do. And yeah. maybe, I don't know whether any of them have the potential to be as good as Zach was. That would be quite the story. When, back to the days of Lavelle where there's a quarterback factory going on here. But there is talent down there. And and and, and I, I can believe, Aaron, that he's waiting to make that decision. Of course, he said the same thing about Zach Wilson a year ago. I wasn't going to bring it up, but that's exactly right. I, I, I talked to him, and we <laughs> heard him, and we had him on the air. And he, there was a quarterback race last spring, right? Oh, we can't, we can't tell. We don't know who it's going to be. They know. They know. They always know, Gordon. I don't think they do know this. You time. don't? Mm-mm. I do. I think they know. I just think they wonder if the kid they know is the guy is going to stay healthy because okay, he hasn't if, been able to, and so then you don't want Baylor Romney to leave. If they know, then who is it? Jaron Hall. He's the dynamic guy. He can do it all. But can he stay on the field? That's the question. He's dynamic. Baylor is steady, but not dynamic. And Conover is new and young you got to bring him in with some kind of seasoning don't you not just throw him right in there i go with the best whoever's the best and i think it's jaron hall right now Uh, okay i think they know why is jaron hall coming back why isn't he going off to play baseball he knows and they know and it's gonna be jaron hall uh, i'm not as sure as you are about that okay incriminating audio uh well I mean no well I can't say it's not Jaron Hall yeah but I don't think that decision has been made I can call up Aaron right now and find he'll out. tell you the decision has not been made but it has been uh, Austin how do you where do you get that from because you can't make that decision the day before the game that's never happened well, once yeah, and but worked you can, you can make the decision sometime during fall camp. And just sit on it now? Just yes. Just say, oh, we'll table this for oh, four months. Oh, that happens all the time. Just table it? No, don't table it, but pay attention to what they're doing and how hard they're you working. You have a leader, and then you have guys well, below yeah, but, him. Yeah, but that doesn't mean the decision's been made. Right. The guys have a chance to somehow get way better between now and August See, I and, don't and want the See, de- I don't but. want the decision to be made yet. Why? Because give, give all these guys a chance and really it let one bubble to the top. And I'm from the camp of if you haven't made if you have seven decisions you have no decisions. <laughs> that's I don't think that's make true. a decision and then react. I don't think that's true in this case. No, well, we'll see, we'll see. Well, I mean, how are we going to find out? We're never going to know. With, no, oh yeah, won't. I made the decision in March. Prove it. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Yeah. Uh, we got it. We you know what will be able to be proven is whether or not the not sports report makes me throw up. It's coming. Up. You're not sports report on 97.5, 1280, the zone and the zone sports network. Get down, 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 get down. Not sports report brought to you by LHM used car supermarket, over 1000 used vehicles in inventory shop online. LHMUsedCars.com. We've got Derek Favors coming up at the top of the hour. So, Gordon, what do you got for us? I got this. You know, it's funny how during certain world wars, skirmishes happened over uh, over, uh, just feet of land between countries and whatnot. Like the border? Yeah, Yeah, like the border, a boundary or something. So, this story comes along uh, yesterday. A farmer in Belgium inadvertently changed geography by moving his country's border with France 
The farmer's driving along on a tractor and apparently got upset, but there's a large stone blocking his path. So he moved it. Well, that stone, that uh, thing, happened to be the marker of the border between France and Belgium. And, and he, and and he so just got out and moved it? He moved it. A farmer? Yes. Not some government official? No, a farmer moved it like <laughs> over seven feet, seven or eight feet. So Fran- Old McDonald declaring war. <laughs> Belgium got bigger and France got smaller. <laughs> and that would have cost 5,000 lives during World War One. <laughs> right, Napoleon would have, would have uh, gone through and slaughtered a bunch of people. Uh, <laughs> this farmer. And so how long had this stone been there, I, I think and he there. just noticed it? I, I don't know all those details. Uh. But according to a reporter over in France, he said he made Belgium bigger and France smaller. It's not a good idea. What did they do to him? Did they? Did, what happens in that case? Uh, like I if I encroach, if I take a, a stone off Minnesota and move it north and expand Minnesota into Canada, <laughs> don't I, like, end up in Guantanamo or someplace? I, doesn't Interpol arrest me and disappear me? <clears throat> well, all I can tell you is this, and this is what I think the, lo- the mayor of a local town said. If the farmer shows goodwill, he won't have a problem. We will settle this issue amicably. That so, sounds like a lie. That sounds like this guy's never going to be heard from again. Can you imagine having that kind of power? Just by moving a rock? <laughs> How about we get an actual marker instead of just a rock, huh? Yeah, but usually, is there what, what is the dividing point normally between between countries? Uh, I mean, when, when people are building walls. Your guy wanted to build the wall, yeah. Uh, so. uh, my guy, yeah, right. Okay, so what's the border look like between Canada and the U.S.? Lots of snow. Uh, no, I mean, is there anything there? The only thing I can tell you about the Canadian border is <laughs> when I was about five or six. No, I was about eight or nine, probably. We went to visit my dad's friend in, who lives in Alberta, and we went through the little border check thing, and they randomly selected our car to, like, search it and go through it. And they separated the kids, our, us kids from our parents and asked us, do you know these people? And I said no. What? Great. But I thought they were talking about themselves, but they were actually asking about my parents. So here we are. <laughs> Never seen them before. And they think, well, the, we've broken a human trafficking <laughs> thing right here and now. And well, I understand that along roads you might have some sort of checkpoint or whatever, but what about out in the countryside? Well, that happens, you know, with coyotes down in uh, coming from Mexico into the United States. There's a lot of open area down there. Well, apparently between Belgium and France, there was a rock. And this old McDonald went out there and slid it north so that he could get the lawnmower past it, and suddenly Belgium was bigger. I think he should be a national hero. <laughs> I think they ought to leave it how it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, I it mean, looks better that way. <laughs> you ever tried that uh, with uh, with your property on your side uh, versus your neighbor? I've no. Know, I've known people have sort of cheated over a little bit. Because that quarter of an inch is going to make a big uh, difference for your that, azaleas. For like, <laughs> no, for like a like a tree or a. Uh, in <laughs> fact, one of my neighbors actually accused when when I moved in, uh, we put a fence up, <laughs> and one of the kids came over and said to one of my kids, uh, "You took our peach tree." You cut down the no, neighbor's tree. No, I built a fence, but the peach tree was on. You our didn't side, check the border. Our, Good grief. Fence. I just, you I, know, that peach tree is ours. Not anymore. 
<laughs> that fence says otherwise. Hey, let's get out to the zone phone. Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic is joining us. He's got a simple, easy fix. Not not a Band-Aid, not a temporary moment, but a fix for ED. Hi, Andrew. Hey, guys. Yeah, we do have something pretty interesting. If you're out there frustrated to any degree in the bedroom, maybe you're younger and the frequency isn't what it used to be. Maybe you've got more severe erectile dysfunction. The two forms of acoustic wave therapy that we use to open up the blood vessels really is. It's going to the root cause. It's not a pill. We've seen a lot of guys get improved blood flow backed by 40 clinical studies. We're seeing excellent things. I think that the pill may someday be a thing of the past, and guys can improve their performance without it, uh, backed by a Cambridge study. That's pretty cool. Another study said this is the new standard of care for erectile dysfunction. Sounds like the uh, success rate is very high on these treatments. It is. I don't know what the average success rate is with any medical procedure across the board, but studies have said 85 and 90 percent in some of these studies with our technology. That's pretty high. Uh, we do have you screened by a medical doctor before starting to try and improve that even more. Um, but we know it's very successful and it's totally safe. Sounds like a no-brainer. How do we uh, get a hold of you guys? You can go to wasatchmedicalclinic.com if you want to do a little more research, or the assessment exam and blood flow ultrasound is the starting point. We do it for free. Then you can decide if these treatments are a good fit for you. Get things back on track in the bedroom. Uh, call us and we'll do that consultation and the assessment at no charge. It's 801-901-8000 to get a hold of Wasatch Medical Clinic. And your number one piece of advice to people who are worried about the stigma attached to this uh, subject is? The stigma is dangerous. The ED gets worse, and you're more normal than you think. Uh, there's a lot of guys struggling. 801-901-8000. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. It's Andrew from Wasatch Medical Clinic. Derek Favors. Yes, Derek Favors. He's next here on The Big Show.